Welcome to episode number 22 of Inbound Agency Journey. This is Andrew, and I'm so excited to have you here right now. Today, we've got a great conversation between Gray and Jeff Kuhn from Stream Creative. It's an awesome, awesome interview where they dig into all aspects of the agency, how they discovered their focus, how they put on a live event and really knocked it out of the park, plus some great internal process insights that I think are really, really going to help you out. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. I'm your host, Gray McKenzie, and I am very excited to have on the podcast with me today, Jeff Kuhn, who is the creative director and a partner at Stream Creative uh, from out in Wisconsin joining us today. And Jeff, I think you're our first guest on the podcast. I'm trying to think if I'm overlooking anybody who is from Wisconsin. So you're a groundbreaker and welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Gray. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. I'm excited for our conversation today. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to have you on and to learn more about the business that you've built, uh, your personal life and, and what keeps you ticking. Jeff, I wonder if you would uh, just start off by giving us the background on Stream Creative. What's the story that uh, brought you and the company together and then uh, has kind of formed the evolution of the company over the last uh, nine or ten years? Sure. So Stream Creative, we're an inbound marketing firm located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So primarily we focus on B2B companies in that sweet spot of maybe $5 million to $25 million in overall sales. Over the last, I would say, 12 months, we've really tried to narrow our focus on working with in insurance companies and manufacturing. Um, you know, and as the company evolved, so our company is nine years old. As we started out, we were working with companies across the board, and, and honestly, we we're having success, but we're finding as, as we get smarter at this that, you know, there's definitely some efficiencies that can be created in trying to be more focused on, on who we're working with. And some of that just came by trial and error, and some we just had to learn the hard lessons. Um, but yeah, so we're an eight-person agency. We have eight full-time employees, three of those which are partners. It's myself and then my business partners, Brian Brinkman and Steve James. And then we also have two full-time contractors that we work with. Um, you know, it was before opening Stream Creative, we all worked in the ad agency world or worked for corporate America. And Brian, Steve, and I all went to college together and just had this kind of dream that by the time we were 30, we wanted to start a company. And so we thought, well, let's give it a shot. And we found this sweet spot. And our goal in starting Stream Creative was to find this this niche in this small area where we could be helping small businesses and give them that high level of service and that creative capabilities that that someone could find from a big ad agency, but with all that strategy and the results and the ROI focus that they could get from a, a smaller marketing firm. So we tried to marry that together, start off as a graphic design um, company solely because the three of us as, as owners, that was our background. We have graphic design backgrounds by degree, um, but then have worked really hard over the last nine years to create a full-service inbound marketing shop where we focus on on really the strategy and creating ROI-focused marketing programs. Awesome. Wow. Uh, thanks for the rundown, Jeff. That was uh, I was going to ask you kind of what the background was when you guys started this before moving over to uh, you know to inbound. So the three of you were all were you all graphic design majors at? Did you go to the University of Wisconsin? We went to a smaller uh, UW school, so we went to University of Wisconsin Oshkosh, which is about an hour and a half north of Milwaukee. Okay. So yeah, the Brian, Steve, and I all started. That's where we met um, in all of our graphic design classes, um, and then as we, Steve and I, actually worked together at our first real jobs. So we worked together there, and actually, it was a package design company that Steve and I started their whole interactive department. So got we saw that there's you know the web stuff really started becoming big, and we saw that this is where business is going. And so Steve and I worked really hard to get the interactive department going at our first. Uh, agency, and then I I moved and I wanted to get experience, you know, at one other agency, um, and went there and started their interactive department too, and and both great places to work, and you know probably could still be there, uh, great people, great uh, experience there, but we just had that entrepreneurial um, something inside that said, you know, we want to go and give this give this a whirl and try it on our own. Great, well, congratulations, and you've made it far <laughs> past the uh, the odds. 
are against you there in the first couple of years of starting a business. Very few companies make it as far as you guys have. So congratulations on surviving and not just surviving, but, uh, but really thriving and growing into uh, one of the most respected inbound agencies out there and HubSpot partners um, out there. Well, I appreciate it. It's been a fun journey. Yeah. So Jeff, um, something that's come up on this podcast a number of times is do you pick a vertical and then you uh, then you go get clients in that vertical or do you more discover a vertical where you have clients uh, in one specific industry and then decide, okay, this is where we want to specialize. So I'm curious to know, you mentioned specializing and kind of niching down into insurance and manufacturing. Has that been discovered or intentional? What what led you to those verticals? It was really discovered. You know, when we started the business, it was, you know how it is, you're looking for jobs and you have to make, make ends meet. So you're taking jobs that just seem to make sense and that you're passionate about and you feel like you can really make a difference. Um, but it was, yeah, so but it just kind of fell into happenstance when the insurance niche, we happened to be working with um, Catholic Financial Life at the time, and they're a fraternal organization and, and do different uh, fraternal things with insurance. And then we are working with another, one of the largest independent insurance agencies in the Midwest, and then as well as, uh, and then that grew into working with a, a large insurance carrier. And it wasn't strategic on our part to say, hey, we're going to go and cover this niche. It just kind of fell into place. Our whole business has grown by referrals, you know, and so we try to grow the business by earning business and by, you know, great customer service and, and getting results. So as we showed success, you know, with one company and somebody may have transitioned over this next company and they bring you along and then they know somebody at this company. And so it's really grown organically. And then as we've seen it, as we've grown the agency and added a new employee every year over the last nine years, we're starting to see that, you know, in order to really be efficient and to be able to maximize and get results, you can see the benefits of, of finding a niche where you can bring in talent that's really focused and knows that industry and we can leverage the successes that we've had in that niche and try to multiply that and bring that to our other clients as opposed to you know in the beginning we were working with a high-end chocolate company where we did all their package design and all their you know marketing and built their website but then on the other hand we're working with an asphalt paving company and then a group of attorneys and all great companies and again we were able to get results but you know they're all that onboarding and really truly learning the industry you know, it takes a lot of upfront work and, you know, sometimes you spend a lot of time in the beginning spinning your wheels and getting up to speed. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that uh, there's definitely a lot of benefits to specializing and that's something that I think is more of a trend than less of a trend is discovering kind of who are the clients that we work well with, that we have good success for. And then one of the points that you brought up that I think that a lot of people I know that at the very beginning of Guava Box that I overlooked was uh, the impact of referrals if you're targeting a specific industry um, because it's it's just much easier if a CEO of a manufacturing company can look and see what we've done for another manufacturing uh, company within that same industry. Uh, it just makes the results a little bit more tangible. It's an easier sale and that referral becomes uh, kind of magnified in the power and impact that it can have when you are targeting a vertical. Um, so I think that's that's definitely something that we've learned um, over our time, and it sounds like you guys are having success in the same way. Yeah, it is. I agree with you 100%. And the other thing, too, is you know everybody's growth model is different, and ours has been slow and steady. You know, Our goal is to grow 15 to 20% year over year. We're trying to find that magic balance of how do you continue to grow revenue while still having a family-first you know, mentality, you know, the majority of our staff, we have young families and it's important that we're there for them. So it's like, how do you, your passion, you have your baby, which is your business and your clients, and then you have your, your other babies at home that need you too. So we're trying to figure out how do you find that balance? And for us, it's, you know, that referrals are huge because, you know, I, I would say that Steve and I aren't great at traditional sales. It's not something we're comfortable with, but we're so happy to go and talk to companies and business owners and say, Hey, we can help you grow and we want to grow with you long-term. So for us, it's about the referral allows us to cherry pick a little bit, if you will, to find those companies that we align with on a personal and professional level and those that we can find success with. So it's it's been our model. It's not right for everybody, but that's what we found the business on and knock on wood, it's worked worked well for us over nine years now. Right, right. Um, I definitely want to come back to what you said uh, about family first and dig into that a little later. But uh, speaking of those businesses and clients, uh, Jeff, can you share a recent success story 
from a client project or campaign that you guys have run and been involved with. Um, this is kind of your opportunity to brag on your team and, and the work that you guys are doing. But we'd love to hear just what's gone well for you lately. Sure. And when I was looking at this um, when we were talking earlier, I'm going to answer this with a little bit different of a twist because I think it may be helpful because we found a lot of success, so it may be helpful to the audience. It's not necessarily a client success, but it can certainly be applied to clients, but it's actually a campaign and event that we ran for our company. And it's, you know, it was a, it's experience inbound is the name of the event. And it was an inbound marketing event that we ran here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We've done it for the last two years now. And uh, in June, we actually, it was a two day conference, same conference. The first day was held at Miller Park where the Milwaukee Brewers play. And then the second day we went to Lambeau Field where the Green Bay Packers play. And the idea was to be able to essentially take all the head great stuff and that energy that we get from going to inbound in Boston every year and how do we bring it back to our market. Um, so it was an event that we did that's just been an awesome uh, thing for us in terms of lead generation, in terms of connecting and networking, in terms of sharing thought leadership and just really, you know, that visibility and um, just doing business the right way. You know, it's it's there's been a lot of benefits and I'm happy to talk about it. But are you okay if I share that experience as opposed to a client success story? I would love to. I've been uh, something that we've kicked around and have not ever worked up the courage to attempt is an in-person uh, event, you know, like some type of conference. So I would love to hear more about that. Sure. Okay. So we partnered with Wider Group out of Appleton, and they're a HubSpot Platinum partner as well and, and good friends of ours. And we just talked about, you know, how can we do this? So the first year that we did Experience Inbound, we just did it Stream Creative, and we just did a Milwaukee location, had it at the Harley-Davidson Museum. So our, our big criteria was we wanted the venue to be a big draw, and we wanted to align our brand with a bigger, well-known brand in the state of Wisconsin um, because, you know, we don't do a lot of – public-facing advertising. We do inbound marketing, and so people find us via our blog but don't have a lot of big market share in Milwaukee. So two years ago, that was our big attempt to create some awareness in the Milwaukee area. And then we thought, how can we make this bigger and better and serve the whole state of Wisconsin? And so we partnered with Wider Group, and we thought, well, what about doing you know one at Miller Park and the next day at Lambeau Field? And it was awesome. It was a great chance for us to, like I said, like good for lead generation, but other benefits that we didn't even expect necessarily when you put something like this together. And, and that's going to be just the internal team building. So it gives us something as a team to kind of rally behind and to put into practice for ourselves, something that we always preach to our clients. So now our job is to fill, fill seats and sell tickets. And um, so it's just been a great way for us as a team to kind of rally behind something. And then obviously to collaborate with wider group, which, you know, we had some learnings with them in terms of how they run an event. And we both learned a lot from each other as well as then just as you're securing speakers for the event. I mean, it's a great opportunity to be able to connect with folks like Elise Ramsey from Wistia and Ryan Panzer from Google. We partnered with Chad Pollitt from Relevance, who was one of our keynote speakers, as well as Mark Roberge from HubSpot. So to be able to bring these folks to Milwaukee, to be able to have dinner with them, to be able to connect with them, I mean, besides the lead generation and the prospective clients that we met, I mean, those by themselves would have been worth doing the event. Um, so it was just awesome. And, and it actually wasn't as hard to pull off as we once thought. I mean, I think if you pick a good venue, they take care of a lot of the details of, you know, food and all that kind of stuff and getting the, all the audiovisual stuff set up. Um, but then our team, and we've got some talented team members who have experience in doing events, and it's just about being organized and making sure, you know, I mean, you got some of the tools in place and Eventbrite was, was key for that. But we were very surprised that um, it certainly took effort, but it wasn't as scary as we once thought it was. So a very successful event for us. We had about 150 people at Miller Park and then just over 100 at Lambeau Field. And we, we see opportunities to be able to even grow that even bigger next year. Wow. Uh, you answered, you started to answer one of the questions that I was going to ask. But first of all, I'm just kind of, I'm all excited about this because obviously I love inbound. I love building community, but uh, I'm also a huge baseball fan. So uh, the Miller Park thing just sounds awesome. Obviously Lambeau Field and all the history there, that had to be an incredible experience as well. Um, but I'm curious about, so the thing that's always held us back is this seems like an overwhelming task um, to plan an in-person event and manage all the variables involved with that. Can you take a stab, Jeff, at uh, maybe like quantifying the amount of effort that went into this, but also just like 
anything that you learned that streamlined that process? Yeah, and and when I say it was easy, it was it was easier for us as business partners because we have Mary Jo on our team and Andrea and Janice and all of our uh, team members that just they're just so organized and they're just great at this stuff. Um, and so they took care of it. They did a lot of the heavy lifting for us. So certainly my role was more about, okay, I was going to be one of the speakers. I can help reach out to get some of the speakers. So there was a lot that went on behind the scenes that I'm sure I wasn't even aware of, but it really, the, the first year that we did this um, before we, and then obviously the folks had wider too. I don't want to shortchange their efforts too, but the first year that we did this by ourselves, I mean, quite honestly, it was, okay, let's get a micro site up. You know, and just simply we're going to list the venue, who the speakers are, costs, and then all the transactional stuff just happened through Eventbrite. So we just utilized that system. And then it was trying to find speakers who had a reach. So our speakers that we pulled from two years ago were influencers in the Milwaukee market. So we knew that by them participating in this event, they were obviously going to be able to help promote it um, and get, get the word out there. And then HubSpot was kind enough. Two years ago, we had Brian Halligan come and keynote it. Um, so, you know, you get some of the speakers who had some vested interests in getting their name out there as well. And so they helped promote it. And then our relationships with other media outlets and then certainly the relationships we have just in terms of our inbound marketing and the reach that we had, we were able to, our goal was for the first year was, you know, if we could get 120 people in the room, we would have been, we would have, you know, that consider that a success and we were able to get 140 people to attend the very first event and we're like okay maybe we should just call call it a successful event and never do it again but then as we thought about it we're like gosh it was just awesome it re-inspired us it again was a great visibility piece and um just again all the benefits of just connecting with other thought leaders much like you guys do with the podcast that was our opportunity to do it and we just those in-person events you know they, they get people rejuvenated and excited and that's just what we wanted to bring back to milwaukee in the state of wisconsin so i kind of dodged the question a little bit but i mean between just being organized and reaching out to speakers who are would be equally benefit beneficial of that opportunity so somebody who's maybe got a book coming out or obviously you know hubspot was gracious enough to be able to bring speakers our way but um in terms of we didn't upfront a lot of money for bringing speakers in. There's some speakers that we just had to pass on because we couldn't afford them. But, you know, for those that really get the whole inbound methodology, they understand that, hey, there's a lot of benefit of me coming and getting in front of your audience as well. So we were able to do it. I mean, our biggest cost certainly was were the venues and, you know, the cost to, to feed feed those in attendance. But in terms of speaker fees and all that, it was just us uh, covering travel expenses and room and board and things like that. So it was more cost effective than we thought it was going to be. Wow. Well, you're inspiring me. I really want to make it happen. <laughs> that's on the bucket list uh, for some point in the future. So um, I think that's something that it, there's just so much that you can do online. And that's one of the comments. I'm sure that you've been doing this for, you know, for nine years now. I'm sure that you've heard this more than I have even, but uh, you know, everyone says it must be so nice that you can work from your computer. You can work from home if you want to, um, all these things, but, and and I, I do enjoy that freedom and that flexibility to do that, but, uh, there's nothing better than getting face to face with people and those in-person relationships and events, uh, can be a big part of building those relationships, bringing people together and, uh, and definitely inspiration. So, yeah. And you know, one of the things that we thought, so we set our goals for, for the goals of our event, and you know, you can call us foolish for saying, "Okay, we, you should want to make a lot of money on these events," but that was never our goal. I mean, it was really like, in our mind, we thought if, even if you could do this event as a break-even deal, but again, all the collaboration and the things that we they get out of it, but also then as a value add to our clients. So for us to be able to go to some of our clients that have been with us for the entirety and say, "Hey, you know what? Thanks for being a loyal, you know, customer. You know, we want to bring your bring your sales team to come along." And so just to kind of re-energize your clients about hey we're we are choosing to write with to work with the right partner you know these guys are great and and just to be able to shift the mindset or kind of reinforce that decision for your own clients is worth so much to us as well so um yeah and so every year that's kind of been our goal it hasn't been to be a big profit center it's just been something to kind of keep us re you know energized and uh, just be a value add for existing clients and just something fun for us to do with our team and it's kind of served all those goals and maybe you make a couple bucks too, but that's not, that wasn't the initial goal. Right. Right. Wow. Well, that's awesome. Um, Jeff, let's, let's kind of switch gears a little bit here. Um, one of the things that we try and dig into with every guest is, uh, we try and talk about, um, 
process a little bit. That's something that's probably the topic that um, we get the most emails about is uh, folks wanting to know or being glad that somebody shared what is kind of their step-by-step, their in-depth process for how they accomplish something. Um, do you have any areas of the business that you want to share kind of about what uh, what your process looks like that's made you successful? Sure. I think the one big, the big one, it would just be the client interviews. And that's something that when we started the business, we just, we didn't do enough of. And I think if there's one secret to success, I think it's really just not being afraid to pick up the phone, to schedule meetings, to talk to, you know, all the key personnel within companies and you're, you know, understanding their buyers. So that's a big part of not only our onboarding, but just is that ongoing inbound marketing process. Because as we're developing a strategy and we're helping execute that strategy, obviously our, we don't know what our clients know. We haven't walked a mile in their shoes or spent a whole career doing what they do. So our job is to be able to, you know, pull that information out of their head and be able to communicate that and, and put that content out there. And so those client interviews have been absolutely key. And really what that looks like for us is in the onboarding process, it's making sure we want to, you know, get all the stakeholders and all the management and executives. We want to be able to get time with them. But it's also then going and talking to their customer service reps, talking to whether it's HR, their sales force, and trying to pick as many people's brains so that we can say, okay, we have a true understanding of what makes this company different, how they serve their market, and then you want to talk to those frontline people because they're the ones that are talking to the you know the end customer, and that's how we develop our buyer personas. So for us, what that process has looked like, too, is, is really just sitting down and, and carving out 30 to 45-minute interview sessions, at least in the beginning, to be able to talk to all these, these key people, again, across many different departments. And then as we look at it and say, okay, this is the common theme that's coming up. This is, you know, how company X, Y, and Z differentiates themselves in customer service. This is how their product or service serves their market. And that stuff has just been absolutely key. And it's, I won't, and looking back and doing it, like, gosh, I wish we would have started that when we started the business. It, you know, so many times you're beating your head against the wall thinking like, oh, gosh, how, how am I going to really communicate with this buyer persona at that level? And it was just our fear or ignorance of, you know, sitting down with all these, you know, either customers or the client themselves and just asking them questions. You know, it starts off with five or six simple questions that then leads into a bigger discussion. And then obviously we continue to do that month every month, just sitting down with the key people to help us um, generate content ideas. Gotcha. So that's uh, prompting a couple of follow up questions. One is Are your client interviews, is that only with points of contact? at your direct client or are you ever calling your clients customers? We do reach out to client customers as well too. And that's more so in the onboarding um, part of it. But as we continue to work with clients, you know, they obviously get comfortable with us um, directly contacting their clients. And so what we'll do is a practical example would be we try and send out some or set up some sort of questionnaire online where people can give feedback, you know? So after, a job or a product or service has been delivered, you know, I'll follow up email and just, hey, if you, how was your experience? And those folks that reach out and, and fill out that survey, then we are like, okay, they're willing, they had a good experience and they're willing to talk about it. We'll kindly reach out pretty quickly and say, hey, would you be willing to, you know, set up a 15, 20-minute phone call? Um, so we're looking for those folks that are, um, you know, having uh, taken the initiative to say good things about it and we'll try and reach out directly to the customer. But initially it's, when we do the onboarding, it's like, hey, give us three, four, or five of your customers, and you know, can you guys initiate that so they understand who we are and why we're calling? And that usually gets the ball rolling. But then as we have an ongoing relationship, then our clients trust us to be able to reach out to customers um, as needed. And that's what helps us build up case studies and customer testimonials, and whether it's um, in print or video, or when I mean print, I mean online, but whether it's video format or you know, actually a blog post or whatever it may be. Um, so it's just as we build trust with our clients, then they give us more direct access to their customers. Right. That makes sense. So these client interviews then, when you're talking to points of contact inside your client on a monthly basis, is that all happening, Jeff, in a phone call? Or do you have any portion of that that's either automated or prompted via an email or a form or anything like that? Uh, we do it all uh, via phone calls or in-person meetings, and that's just one of our touch points. And, you know, wrapped into that meeting is also just, hey, here, how's the account doing and what were our goals for this past month and how are we doing on that? So 
it's our it's at a minimum it's that opportunity to be able to get some FaceTime or you know at least some call time um, to be able to to talk to to our client. And then we will set up on a weekly basis. There are some where we're going to say, hey, well, we're going to talk to the marketing team or set up a separate interview for a customer service rep or a salesperson individually. But there's always those monthly check-ins where we're just um, trying to pick brains because it may be, you know, at the management level that that's all they're they're not involved in the day-to-day stuff, but they want to kind of keep tabs of what's going on. And that's our opportunity to kind of ask them some questions and get, hey, what are you guys, what are you hearing on the streets? And something that they just, bring up in conversation then sparks a series of questions or ideas for us that we'll either ask them directly then while we have their ear or we'll set up a call with them to follow up on that. And, you know, we try and make it as easy on them as possible. The idea is not to scare them or add more to their already busy day. It's, hey, you know, let me know when you're, uh, you know, in between meetings and you got time to kill and we want to just pick your brain for 15, 20 minutes. So. Right. Right. Yeah, that process makes a lot of sense. One of the things I'm curious about, you mentioned, obviously, the goal of this uh, gathering all this uh, interview material and the answers to what these um, folks who have direct direct access and direct contact with the end customers, um, a big part of what that's being used for is content creation. So what does the cycle look like? Let's say, so this is the beginning of August right now as we're recording this. So you had a call to wrap up July or whenever this last call um, or beginning of August call was. What is like a typical turnaround time from when maybe these questions uh, or answers that you get uh, today, uh, before those start showing up in content, what's kind of the lead time there for you guys as you're turning these interviews into content? It's probably when, it's, when we're talking about more of a traditional blog post, those we're turning around, you know, within usually within a week. So it may be one of our, you know, Janice or Andrea on our team who do our writing where they're, they've had the, the interview with the client and we're just talking about, hey, here's looking at the content calendar. We had these topics framed up. How are you guys doing? Have you put any thought into that? You know, they'll ask them enough questions to get an outline going. And then it's usually, you know, put a draft together, get the client to review it and make sure that all the technical details are what what they need to be. And then maybe one more round of iteration or one more change. And then we're usually posting it the following week. So we can turn that stuff around pretty quickly. Now, obviously, if it's a video or a customer testimonial or it's something that requires more scheduling, conf- you know, time, it's, it's usually the scheduling and getting everybody's calendars aligned that take more time than actually creating the content. Wow. Okay. So that's a that's a, a much quicker turnaround than in general when we're doing stuff with clients. But I'm seeing a big pro to your answer. So for us, we try and be uh, typically at least four to six weeks out ahead of things. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll have stuff finished up ahead of time and ready to go. Which depending and this kind of depends too on the client. What level are they at? You know, for blogging twice a week, that's a lot easier to do than if we're blogging four or five times a week. But one of the big advantages that I see to your model is um, when you're having these client interviews, you're getting, you know, in a lot of cases you're getting the what's top of mind, what are the experiences I've had recently. So if you can turn a blog post around that answers a question in a week or two weeks and get it published, you're giving it back to the sales team or the customer support team. uh, Well, they're still aware of it, so it's probably going to stick with them better, but also potentially in enough time that they could, um, you know, start sharing that with clients who are having that, uh, that possibly even the client that prompted that, uh, or prospect that, that prompted that. But, um, but you know, alternative, alternatively, like other folks who are going through that same process as well, they have those answers a lot earlier. So I could see that being a big benefit. Uh, oh, exactly. And that's, that's kind of the point. So we will work out. So, you know, our writers, they're usually, I mean, pie in the sky, they at least want to be working three to four weeks out so they can get social scheduled and all that stuff too. But yet from the time that we get that client interview, that's really the key is that our writers want to be able to get back to that person within a week's time while it's still fresh on our mind and they're excited about it. And it may not actually get published. It may be scheduled to publish, you know, for two weeks from when that went through, but it's really about getting back to that, that person that we interviewed while it was still, like you said, top of mind and they're really still excited about it. Yeah. Okay. That uh, I I can see this hybrid model having a lot of uh, validity and value, where you are out in front of things that you know that you've anticipated for a while that are common things, but nothing's really urgent. But almost uh, you know a relationship where there's also these this constant like maybe we've got three blog posts a week that are scheduled ahead of time, uh, and that we can go out in the future. But 
you know, there's also a mix in of fresh content, but that you anticipate ahead of time. Um, this is just me thinking out loud for how we could improve our process here. So I think and that's exa- that is exactly it. So you know you want to have, let's say, three in the queue so that if you, know, you just can't get uh, feedback from the client or whomever you were supposed to interview, if you just can't get that feedback, your, your content strategy isn't at a loss, right? You've got those three, let's say, content pieces that are going out for sure. And then if like, this is something that's timely that came up and it's you know, newsworthy, we'll just say, okay, let's bump you know, whatever was scheduled for Wednesday is an example, because that will be just as relevant next week. So we're really trying to say, okay, how do we have that core foundational content out there? And then how can we use um, things that are just, you know, timely to be able to get those, those queued up as well. So that's, that's exactly how we try and operate with all of our clients. Man, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, You guys are definitely out ahead of the curve, at least my curve on this one. So I'm going to, that's going to directly impact our process. Um, for sure. And it's, it has certainly predicated on uh, uh, having responsive clients. And thankfully we've got great people and clients that we work with and, you know, they've, they've committed to this and they give us their time and attention. So, I mean, there are other horror stories that, you know, when we started the company where, you know, you, you can't get a program off the ground because you can't get an interview scheduled with the key person or whatever. So I don't want to mislead you to think that we've got the world's problems figured out here. We just happen to be in a sweet spot with our clients right now where, you know, they're committed to this and, and, and that's, that's really key for us to be able to do what we need to do. For sure. That makes sense. Well, since you don't have the world's problems figured out, <laughs> let's, uh, let's dive into one area right now, Jeff, that, uh, you guys are working on to improve something you're struggling with today and is a, a focus for improvement in the agency. So our focus is always to continue to just prove our processes in general, you know, and that's, it's going from specific services, meaning how do we get more efficient in, you know, a website redesign project? How do we take that and how do we make that more efficient as well as how do we get content calendars built up more efficiently? Um, so it's always process for us and at, at a partner and owner level, it's really about the more efficient that we can be, obviously we can you know, turn out quality work quicker, but it's also to free us partners up to get us out of the day-to-day a little bit. That's the one struggle that we have, you know, having an eight to 10 person agency, but three of us are the partners, you know, there's still, Brian, Steve, and I are still required to help with some of the deliverables, which is very difficult to do. So if we're working on a campaign and, you know, we're the lead creative or the strategist on that account, and you also are head of new business that week and billing and, you know, whatever else it may be, you know, you can't do everything all the time. So for us, it's um, creating processes that allow us to be able to step out of the day-to-day. And that that means being more efficient, but that also means bringing in additional resources. And so I would say that's the struggle we have is just, um, you know, across the agency, not having our processes where we want them to be. We've certainly come a long way, but I, I always feel like you can, you can never stop improving on your internal processes. That'll just, you know, make some of these things like setting up, you know, interviews with clients more efficient. And then how do you scale that so that you can be able to, if you're working with um, an external writer, how can that process be seamless for them while still, again, keeping the, the high quality of work that you want to be putting out there as well as keeping those touch points with the clients so they don't feel like you've abandoned them. Um, so it's really just trying to work through those processes more and more. Right. That uh, That is the challenge, and I know the struggle um, very well. In your mind, is the answer um, is the answer we can hone these processes to a point where this is realistic with the team we have now and the client base we have now and our growth goals to kind of not deviate from the plan but still create a little bit more freedom um, in our lives to do the things as owners that we have to do? Or is it a combination of processes plus uh, adding people? Kind of what's the solution to get you the lifestyle that you're trying to lead? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, um, I think for us, it's if we have the repeatable processes to where we want them to be, then it allows us to uh, more efficiently bring in extra resources. You know, so we think about, okay, if you were to bring in some extra design help or you were going to bring in a writer um, on a project basis or for a campaign basis, I mean, you know, could you easily turn them over documents that would allow them to get to speed quicker? Or is it, okay, we're busy running the agency and doing some deliverables. I don't have time to sit down with this, you know, extra resource or this new designer or new writer and spend eight hours getting up to speed on where we've been. So have we, if we could document our processes, 
uh, more consistently, you know, in our mind that would allow us to be able to onboard our own extra hands, right? Or, you know, one of the things we want to do is kind of a community aspect as well as a formal internship program with some of the local universities. Well, you know, our biggest fear is you bring someone like that on and then if you don't have the process in place, are they really getting the most out of that experience and are they able to contribute in a way that you'd like them to and that they want to, you know, feel like they're helping move the needle for, for our clients. Um, so I, I think that what we've identified is it starts with having a repeatable process. And, you know, we use Basecamp as our project management tool and a lot of those things are built into it. So for those of us that have been with the agency, you know, for the long haul, we all understand it. It just is that something you can easily translate to a new hire or again, if you're working with a freelance designer as an example, does that make sense? Yeah, that, that totally does make sense. And a lot of that kind of aligns with, uh, the way that I think about, um, our agency and the processes that we've tried to, to build there early on. We read, uh, Andrew and I both read the E-Myth revisited, um, and a couple of the business books that just kind of prompted us to think, very early on, are we building a business or are we just building a job that has some of the the pros that we want to have? And so our goal has been to build a business and try and document and systematize the way that we run things well enough so that at any point in time, we could bring in anyone with a base level of competence and hand them a process document and they could take over from there. And by base level, base level of competence, I just mean, you know, if it's a designer, if there's a design deliverable that has to be delivered, it, you know, I'm not expecting to be able to to bring someone off the street who's never used Photoshop before and do that. But they should be able right. if they if they have those skills, uh, basic Photoshop skills, they should be able to follow our um, you know our process to deliver um, you know deliver a, at the end of the day something to the client that is going to be consistent with the look and the feel and the process that that we would have delivered it um, following that following that same exact roadmap. So. Right. And for us, it's trying to look at what are those high value activities that you, that we're doing in our business, right? So if as business owners, you know, we're spending even an hour doing copying, pasting and content integration, you know, in our mind, then it's like we haven't set up the business, right? So it's like you have to feel and say, okay, what are the things that we need to be doing? And in our minds, that's continuing to make sure the clients are happy and that's like getting results. So how are we continuing to iterate and measure in the campaign and, and deliver true ROI um, that's what our clients need and want from us. That's the whole reason for being in business and the reason for the relationship. So it's stepping out of those other things that, you know, make sense to outsource. If you can get somebody to help you do X or Y that the client doesn't really care who's doing it. It's just the idea that the quality needs to be there and it needs to match their brand. Um, those are the things you want to take, take a look at and say, okay, this is where we can just get more efficient and operate a little bit cleaner in that particular area. So it, that's what we're always looking to do. And, like I said, we've got some of this, a lot of this stuff scaled out in, in Basecamp, and it's just as we start a new project, you know, the to-dos are already built in there and things like that. It's just being able to, again, it's it's fine for those of us that have been working here for the long haul, but again, as we think about we have to continue to, to grow our company, um, you know, is it easy to onboard a new new employee? Right, right. Wow, that's awesome. So you've mentioned Basecamp uh, a couple times, and that kind of leads into the next question that I had for you, Jeff, which is um, what are maybe one or two or a couple of your favorite tools uh, that you use on a daily basis to to run the agency? Sure. Some of these are probably not going to be any uh, big eye-opening type of tools. That's probably what a lot of the folks listening use already, too. I mean, other than the obvious ones of the HubSpot software and their HubSpot CRM, um, and your Google Webmaster Tools and just Google Analytics stuff. Some of the things we'll use is Crazy Egg, so the heat mapping software that allows us to just be smarter about what we're doing from a design and development perspective. Um, and then it's really, I mean, the tabs I have open, you know, I'm kind of anal about it, but when I start my day, it's okay. I've got an email tab open, Evernote, Basecamp, and Yammer. And so we're using Yammer for our our internal discussions. So that's how we keep tabs on what's everybody doing today and who needs some help. And, you know, just, Hey, I found this great article. And so we have our internal, um, enterprise social network in the Yammer tool. And that works out great for internal communications because I don't know about you, but my inbox can just get a little unruly at times. So I, we try to keep our internal communications separate from that. Um, base camp, I mentioned email is obvious, but then the other one that, that I use quite a bit is Evernote. And that's just where I, um, use my 
you know, outline my to-dos for the day. Just keep notes if it's, uh, again, a resource or a link that I want to refer back to, but I need to pull it out of my inbox, I can do that. And what I love about Yammer, Basecamp, Evernote, my email, these are things that, I mean, they're cloud-based products. They have great mobile apps. So if I'm in between meetings and I need to just kind of get a pulse on what's going on, easy enough to pull up my phone and easy enough to keep tabs open. So they allow us to be kind of a mobile um, and just work across whatever device you're on. So those are my go-to tools. I love it. Yeah, those ones, uh, a lot of those I hear a lot. You know what I have not heard in a long time, though, is Yammer because everyone now is kind of switch. Well, not everyone, but uh, a lot of folks have switched over to Slack or to HipChat, but more to Slack. Is Yammer around, like, do you guys have any secrets to how you use that tool, or is that a tool that you're using um, simply because it's been in place for a while, or a reason that you have stuck with that versus Slack or HipChat? Exactly, just because it's been a legacy one that we've had in place, quite honestly. And so as we look back and say, okay, well, how do we narrow down the tools of choice? Because we've even thought about that, too, is like, you know, initially we've had some things as Google Docs, we've had this here and this there, and the idea was, okay, how do we what's working for us and what's not broke and how do we try and narrow our focus so that it's like, okay, if we're talking internally, that's a Yammer conversation, emails for client communication or Basecamp, right? And then Evernote is just how I organize my day and how I share notes with us as business partners and whatnot. Um, so with, with Yammer specifically, it was just something we had in place and it just stuck with it because everybody was used to using it. So creatures of habit, I guess. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, that's awesome. I uh, appreciate you having those resources to share for sure. And I will link those all up in the show notes, uh, which folks can grab by going to doomandbound.com slash learning center, and they'll be able to grab those. Um, Jeff, so one of the things that stuck out to me at the very beginning of this interview was you mentioned um, the ideal of having having a family first business and also the tension of uh, we're in a business that we'd like to grow and be profitable, but we also have some other values about lifestyle um, that those two don't always seem to go in the same thread. Can you kind of unpack um, what you meant by family first and also how the, th- so with three of you starting that kind of, do you, did you all align around that right from the beginning? And how is that, um, how's that relationship worked out over nine years of balancing those tensions? Yeah, um, no, it's, it's it, we always have had that aligned as part of how we started the business. I mean, we we love what we do. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else, and Steve and Brian would attest to that too. I mean, we love working hard, come from blue-collar families, and, you know, so we love our jobs, love working hard, but we also realize that, um, to put it bluntly, we're not curing cancer, right? So, you know, if it's sacrificing time with your family and, you know, you don't want to have that regret that, you know, I, I missed my son or daughter's big event because, you know, I was writing a blog post. It's like, okay, well, then it tells us we don't have the resources in place that, you know, your kids are going to get sick. You're, something's going to come up. And that if we're working everybody to the bone so hard that there's no time for family or things that come up, then in our opinion, we, we didn't set up the agency correctly. And it's easier said than done. I mean, our team works hard and, you know, there's times where we're just at a breaking point in terms of workload and things. But, you know, again, it's we, we tell our folks, um, you know what, things come up and, you know, everybody else is willing to pitch in. So if I'm not working on a particular project, but, you know, our art director, you know, his daughter's sick and daycare isn't an option, then, you know what, by all means, Jason, stay home and I'm going to pick this up for you. And if it means I have to reschedule a meeting, um, if it doesn't offend the client, I will certainly do that. So it's just kind of this we're all in this together um, kind of attitude that allows us to put that family first mentality and we've we've made investments and you know everybody's can be mobile so technically anyone on our team can work from home one day a week if they so choose some have chose not to and they just said i'd like coming in the office and i work better in the office or you know let's we always tell them hey we're all adults here and we know what we're trying to achieve and what we're trying to do um we're not going to micromanage you you know let's all work hard and um we've got the team in place to do it i mean we've our first hire, our art director, um, you know, is is my business partner Steve's brother. And then, you know, a lot of our employees have been someone that we've worked with in a past life or somehow they've been connected to the agency in some shape or form, whether it was a colleague in the past or somebody that we have we knew was going to just align with this culture. And, and that's kind of how we set it up. So even, the, you know, the laptop investment was let people know that, hey, 
you know, this doesn't need to be, you know, working to the bone kind of atmosphere where, hey, we, we expect high quality work. They get that. But if they want to grab their laptop and go sit out on the patio and write a blog post, um, we don't really care where you do your work as long as it gets done on time and um, the quality is still there. Right. That's also, this is another recurring theme from the agencies who have done really well. It's just the uh, investment and thoughtfulness about the culture that they're building and the way that they empower uh, their team and give them the autonomy to get their work done in the environment uh, that works well for them. Well, there's a clear expectation and accountability uh, to the standards that have been set. Um, And that's something that Right now, like this conversation and the conversations that I've had the opportunity to have on this podcast and, and offline have been so valuable um, just to hear from folks who've been doing this for longer um, about what it looks like to build, uh, you know, build a culture and bring people together around a common cause uh, for the common good. So, well, and for me personally, you know, I live 65 miles from the office. So, you know, there, I, I would say two or three days a week, at least I'm, I'm working from my home office. And for me, it's, those are my kind of productivity days where I, I don't have as many meetings or calls lined up and it's, I can really just, you know, d- develop strategy, work on things and focus on the business. And so, you know, for me, it's, I, I work better not sitting in, you know, office environment or Cubeville or whatever it is, you know, it's like, for me, I like to be able to, you know, work from my home office one day if it's a nice day and I can work on the patio. For me, that's what re-inspires me and keeps me fired up every single day. So we wanted to be able to pass it along to our team, too. It's not fair that, you know, that we only save that opportunity for us as owners. And like I said, we just have the team and personalities in place that, you know, allow us to do that where there's really no policing involved. Right, right. It makes a lot of sense. All right, Jeff, last question for you. Um, this is a question that we try and ask pretty much every guest and I'm curious to hear uh, what you have to say you can answer this in one of two ways basically this is the what is your with with all the job responsibilities that you have and uh, as a father of three a family man uh, and balancing work and life and everything else what does kind of that first hour or beginning of your day look like either on you can answer this as like on an average day or on your ideal day, what does it take to get you going and, and goes into starting strong? Oh, sure. So obviously we're all creatures of habits and everyone has their own routine. But what works for me is, you know, I like to start the day off with some form of exercise. I'm not really a morning person, honestly, but I like to get up and, um, you know, and get a workout in before. And, and when I say workout, some days it's harder than others. But most days it's just um, – I have a treadmill desk, so I'll just go down, and so after I have my cup of coffee, I'll just go down and walk on the treadmill for 30 to 40 minutes and you know, with my laptop, and that's just an opportunity for me to, whether it's doing brainstorming time or just organize my day, um, and the idea is that I can get some sort of activity to set the tone for being productive, and, and for me, it just, it's where I can focus. It's just the idea of moving, for me, helps me just stay focused. It's a good way to just kind of block on anything stress or if I wake up thinking like, Oh, I got to get this, this, and this done today, you know, just by simply, you know, walking on my tread treadmill desk for me, that's just helps me organize my thoughts, plan out the day. And then from that, it's, you know, if I get 30 or 40 minutes of that in, then, you know, come up and the kids are waking up and then, you know, you have a nice time to have breakfast with them and then get on your day. And, um, for me, I, I like to chunk up my day. So it's, I have that focus and productivity time real early in the morning and then it's, the kid activities get them to where they need to go. And I've got my, you know, my business day starts with calls and meetings. And then I like to reserve the end of the day for kind of putting a bow on, on it. So in my ideal day, and um, I tried to do this and it's easier when I'm working from home and I have those productivity blocks, but it's, it's really trying to do those client meetings and communications between let's say nine and three, and then using the first part of the day and the end of the day to be able to have that focus time to be able to wrap things up or, or plan for the next day. And, you know, some days are better than other, but, um, for me, it's, um, just, a, could be something as simple as walking on a treadmill. It just is, is that place that I can organize my thoughts. Got it. Good stuff. The, uh, getting up, getting the blood flowing is, uh, that's so helpful. I know I'm just kind of wired that way and it's hard to get started if it's just roll out of bed and then jump right into things. So, I can relate to that for sure. Um, Jeff, where's the best place if folks have follow-up questions, want to say, hey, introduce themselves after this interview, uh, what's the best format for them to reach you? 
sure, you can email me at jeff at streamcreative.com or you can hit me up on Twitter at at streamcreative or at Milwaukee Design. Nice. Good stuff. Well, I will link that up in the show notes as well. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today on Inbound Agency Journey. Oh, great. It's been great talking to you. Thanks again for the opportunity. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Do Inbound, the world's first project and process management tool built specifically for inbound marketing agencies. If you want to learn how to manage, track, and scale your inbound agency with a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash journey. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash journey. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, guys. We're going to recap Gray's conversation with Jeff Kuhn from Stream Creative. Gray, what were some takeaways that you had just after that uh, chat with Jeff? Yeah, man. Well, awesome conversation. Really enjoyed talking and connecting with Jeff. Um, but three things that I'd like to hit on or just recap, point out for people again. Uh, I thought that what he was talking about with doing a local event and what they've done with Inbound Wisconsin was pretty awesome. I was obviously excited about the fact that uh, they had it at two different sports venues this year. <laughs> so that that stuck out to me. I was like, no wonder it was successful. If I'd known that was a possibility, just kidding. But, um, but yeah, so that, that was really cool. I know Andrew, that's something you and I have wanted to do is put together something, get people together face to face. Um, and so just digging into that a little bit and what their experience has been like, I thought it was really, uh, a really smart strategy to partner up with wider group and work together with them on that. So that was the first thing. Um, and before I move on, Andrew, anything else, that uh, that you wanted to point out or comment on from th- from that portion of the conversation? Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And one thing that really stuck out to me that Jeff mentioned was how they reached out for speakers and found local influencers because if their strategy here was how do we increase our footprint in the local market and use a live event to do that, tapping into folks who have an established network and an established following who can help you with promotion in that local network is a great next step. So. That is not something that I would have necessarily thought of uh, right off the bat. I would think, like, how can we get people in who know a lot about inbound, but how can we line that up with also folks who know the know the area and have an established following here to help us get some, some uh, people in the seats? Yeah, that made a lot of sense to me because the first – so they've been doing this for two years now, um, but you're number one, even you're number two, nobody's heard of this before, so how do you get people to show up? And if if I've never heard of it, uh, this isn't like inbound, um, which has grown over seven years or whatever, and people come from all over the place to come to it. If we're just starting something up and we need to get people to show up to this, uh, I thought that was a really smart strategy. Yeah, I loved it. The other thing he talked about, about finding a focus, I thought was so cool, and how over the past nine years, the agency has evolved, and they started out small and just figuring out who who can we work with and then earning business by referrals and over time finding a niche. Um, however you get to a niche, whether it's just picking one and running with it or allowing the clients that you work with and find success with to dictate it, I think that's so helpful. And I think that they're beginning to see that benefit coming through in their marketing, that they're able to target uh, those those industries, those verticals with the type of marketing they're doing and begin to see the fruit of that has been really helpful for them. Yeah, another example of someone who has niched down into like specific verticals and they mentioned two specific verticals um, but also discovered that through their experience and where they kind of hit their sweet spot and then obviously they've developed processes that that fit really well in those verticals and one of the processes that we dug into was their client interview process um, and I thought it was an interesting mix um, of what's kind of pre-scheduled and formatted ahead of time to go out on the, it's been on the schedule for a while. And then what's the more recent, Hey, this is a top of mind issue that we need to address quickly. I thought the client interviews to get that on an ongoing basis. And then the quick turnaround was something that we should definitely take and, uh, and adapt kind of our process, um, at least for certain clients in to reflect that workflow. So I really enjoyed just learning more about their process for that as well. Yeah, that when I heard him mention that, that took me back to the chat that I had with John McTighe from Kuno Creative uh, a few episodes ago and how when they're going through the sales process, if a prospect 
won't allow them to speak with their customers, they they kind of use that as a red flag in the sales process and won't move that prospect forward until they get that permission. So I think Jeff has really, and he highlighted again how he wishes that's something that they did earlier on in the process at their agency. But that's so important to get on the phone and chat with people who have a different perspective. And I know that I've experienced that frustration so many times when building inbound game plans for our clients at Guava Box. The company, that specifically like the president or the owner of the company is the head of the sales department. They're so confident. They're so convinced that they know the customers so well and they understand the pain so clearly that they don't they they really don't understand why why we would ever want to talk to somebody else and it's really laughable how many times we come across that but time and time again it is really valuable to get that customer on the phone your client's customer because they're the only ones who really understand those awareness stage questions that the, that they're asking when they begin their research those those change drivers the incidences that get them researching in the first place and when we're creating ongoing inbound campaigns, we want to structure those campaigns around awareness stage pains and questions. When we think about our agency framework, that is how we want to attract people, is understanding those questions and then using a well-built inbound engine to tap into the consideration and decision stage content. So if we don't understand those awareness stage questions well, we're really dooming the entire relationship. So Jeff's strategy of getting on the phone on an ongoing basis, I think, is really smart. And it's going to if if we can position that and if listeners, you can position that into your game plans so that on a quarterly basis, you're you're touching base with new customers or as they come up, you're touching base with new customers and using that as fuel for the next quarter's campaign. You're really going to position yourself well to attract folks based on the pains that the personas are actually feeling. Yeah, for sure. And I thought that uh, instead of just talking to whoever the CMO is or the point of contact and the CEO, if you can't, um, sometimes it's challenging to make contact with a cust- with one of your client's customers on an ongoing basis. Um, but the balance that they've struck at Stream Creative with talking to the people who are interfacing with those customers seems to be really working well for them. Uh, Andrew, the third thing that I just wanted to touch on real quick again and kind of hit home for folks is just uh, Jeff is another agency owner. Here's someone who's seen a lot of success. The agency's grown consistently for nine years. Um, and there's still the struggle to get things documented, get processes in place to free him up for the life that, uh, you know, that he wants to have and the flexibility that everyone wants to have. And they've made, um, it sounds like they've made a good amount of progress in that direction, but there's always more to be done there. So I just want to encourage people again to think about, how can I document everything I do so that if something happens to me, if I need to go uh, be away from the business for some reason, or simply there's going to be that point, if it's not today, there's going to be some point in time where you want to be away from the business and it's healthy to be away from the business uh, for some period of time. So how can you leave a system in place where things don't fall apart um, when you take off? So that uh, that was one point, Andrew, that just stuck out to me again as it, you know, even the most successful agency owners out there, uh, this is still a struggle for so many. Yeah, I totally agree. And when I when I get to spend time with agencies when we're when we're onboarding them on to do inbound and helping to customize the platform for them, that's the thing that I hear over and over again when they're reviewing the templates that are included in there, the process templates. It's not only it's not only a chance for them to think about you know what's the project management tool that we use. It's a deeper opportunity to think about how do we do our work. And how do we document these things so that we extract it from the minds of the people who do it and we put it down in a repeatable way? That's a pain that so many people have. And like you said, Jeff's been in this for nine years and he's built a very successful business. And that's still a pain in a process they're going through. So if you're out there and you're struggling with this process thing and figuring out how do we create a repeatable system for our agency and how do we build a business and not just a job for ourselves, uh, just take heart in this. That like Jeff is a very successful example of someone who's still pursuing this and pursuing it well. It's a process, and you're going to continue to hone and improve that process as you move forward. And you only fail when you when you fail to act. So make sure you're at least working on it, documenting processes in a repeatable way, um, and just don't stop working on it. Don't stop trying to improve that. It's only when you stop that you really fail in that area. So it was a good, really good, um, just inspiration, Gray. For sure. All right. Well, let's wrap this episode up. Um, appreciate you guys tuning in and sticking with us for the interview with Jeff. Um, if you guys want to reach Jeff, you can head over to the show notes um, and find that information at doinbound.com slash podcast. 
You'll also find uh, links to everything that we discussed here, the resources that Jeff talked about, the tools that he uses. If you have any feedback for us, questions about what we're doing, suggestions for future guests, um, or just want to pass the uh, pass the news along about this podcast, you are welcome to get in touch with us directly via email, gray or andrew at doinbound.com, and on Twitter, uh, Andrew is at Andrew J. Dimsky. I'm at S. Gray McKenzie. Until the next episode of Inbound Agency Journey, keep thinking about how you can be documenting the processes that you have right now to create the freedom and the life that you want to see in your business. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.